Keep your Bibles open to Matthew 24, and uh, we're going to look at a few other passages of Scripture, so you might want to sort of flip back and forth with me. The first one that we'll go to is Daniel chapter 11, and we'll look at verse uh, verse 31 in Daniel 11 when we get to that point. We'll look at a verse of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke. We'll look at a verse of Scripture in uh, Revelation. So be sure to keep your Bibles open as we study together. Let's pause for just a moment and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, during this time of year, we reflect a lot about the wondrous, monumental event of the first coming of your Son, the incarnation of the Son of God. A little babe there, the Prince of Glory wrapped in human flesh. The marvel of just the fact that God is, has been born of woman and the miracle and marvel of it all and, and the wonder of it all of it signifies that salvation has come. And we find ourselves, Lord, in kind of that same situation as those who were the first ones to view that child on the first Christmas, as we too now await the arrival of the Son and of all of the marvel and miracle that it is and the wonder of salvation in its finality and completion that it means. So we cry as we heard the instrumental earlier, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Father, as we look to this passage of Scripture, we just ask, Lord, that... Uh, apart from various views, help us, give us understanding, Lord, of the great significant meaning of your faithfulness to your people, your promise to save, and that Jesus, just as he has come, is coming again. We love you, Lord. We ask that as we look here during this first Advent season, as we look to the second Advent, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen our our faith, that you would prepare us for the days in which we live and the days ahead, and that you would be glorified in all things through and in your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The book ends of the end of the age. So in verses uh, 4 through 14, we looked at last week, Jesus describes the age known as the last days. It's the age in which we live today. And it begins with the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, 
And it will continue. The last days will continue until the gospel has reached every nation as a testimony. So all of these things in these verses, in verses 4 through 14, all of these things are, are going to happen in this age, and they're going to happen again and again. They're going to continue. They're going to become more frequent. They're going to become more intense. They are, Jesus described them, much like birth pains. Right on up until the end, Jesus spoke of national and natural turmoil. He spoke of persecution, falling away from the faith, false prophets, false teachings, loss of neighborly love. And all of these things increase during this age as sin increases during this age. And so it's very much the fallout, if you will, the fallout of the increase of darkness in our days. These things that are happening in this, last, this age of the last days, these things are shocking. And these things are heartbreaking, especially when you experience them. But yet, as shocking as they are, as heartbreaking as they are to experience or to observe, they should not be surprising to us as believers. Jesus told us these things so that we would know, so that we would be prepared. He said in verse 6, this must take place. Now that Jesus has described our current age, I understand verses 15 through 28 that he goes back and speaks once again of the beginning and then the ending in further detail. That's why the title for today's sermon is the book of the the book ends of the end of the age or the book ends of the last days. And they begin with the fall of Jerusalem. So point number one of the sermon, the fall of Jerusalem signals the beginning. And we find this in verses 15 through 20. So Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, meaning the uh, temple. Let's go back then to Daniel 11 and see that passage of Scripture. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, says this, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay, turn back with me to Matthew 24. Jesus refers to that prophecy in Daniel and he says so when you see the abomination of of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place now I understand that Daniel's prophecy there particularly was fulfilled around 160 BC in 160 BC's around that date 
and, and I can't, Antiochus, that's right, Antiochus, Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes erected a pagan altar over the altar of burnt offering. The very thing that Daniel said is going to happen, happened. And so there, Jesus then says to the people of his day, so in Jesus' day, that's already happened. That particular fulfillment of Daniel has already happened. And Jesus says, so when you see, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and then he says this, let the reader understand. Now, I take that to mean those first readers of Matthew's gospel. I understand Matthew to be written before 70 AD, before the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple by Rome. In other words, those, that first generation of the readers of Matthew's gospel, when Matthew says, let the reader understand what Jesus is just saying here. So you're reading Matthew's gospel and Jesus is saying, when you see this happen, which is something that has already happened. So what, what do you do with that? Well, the meaning is, it's going to happen again. That's the way I understand it. it it's going to happen again. That that was fulfilled in around 160 BC, let the reader understand, you're going to see that too. That's, it's going to happen again. That prophecy, another fulfillment of that prophecy is going to occur, and that I understand to happen in 70 AD when Rome desecrates the holy city and the holy temple. Now, look with me to Luke 21.20. In Luke 21.20, Jesus says, But when you... When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And that's kind of a cross-reference to Matthew 24, 15. So let's go back to Matthew 24. So in other words, for those first-generation readers of Matthew's Gospel, they are to understand this is going to happen again. For us as readers of Matthew's gospel, I would think when we see those words, let the reader understand, as we read Matthew's gospel today, that we should understand there's going to be another final fulfillment when Antichrist desecrates all that is sacred. It's kind of like those birth pains. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen again, and it's going to happen again. It's going to keep happening until it reaches that final time. 
before those first, but for those first generation readers of Matthew, they will live to see the fulfillment of 70 AD. Matthew was written probably just a few years before this. So for those readers who read Matthew's gospel and these, this event is just right around the corner for them, marking the beginning of the last days, Jesus sounds the alarm for them that when they see this, let, let, un, let you understand when you see this, flee. Don't even stop to grab your possessions. When you see the armies surround Jerusalem, get out as quick as you can, if you can. It won't be easy. It won't be easy to be a refugee. It will be especially difficult if you happen to be pregnant, if you have an infant. If it happens in the winter, you'll have to face being on, on the run in, in harsh weather conditions as well. If it happens on the Sabbath, you won't receive probably much assistance from those around you, especially those that believe you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, you shouldn't do anything extra on the Sabbath. So it's going to be difficult. It's going to be harsh. It, according to what else is going on, it, it might even be more difficult, but it will be worse if you're captured. So run. That's the thing to do when this happens. This is actually not unusual for us to kind of think about this kind of thing happening. We have witnessed in very recent days a flight similar to what Jesus is describing here. Don't, don't waste any time. Don't try to gather anything. Just get out as quick as you can. We watch this almost in, in dismay and, and horror with the news coming out of Afghanistan, didn't we? Afghan believers those who were assisting the forces there in Afghanistan, gathering at the airport, trying to climb on the planes as they were going down the runway, trying as, uh, as hard to, as they could to flee when the Taliban took control. We've seen something like this. Jesus is telling these readers, you're going to live through that. You're, you're going to live through something like this. So, so when it happens, when you see the armies coming and surrounding, get out if you can. Anyway, don't waste time. Run. And so this, this fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, this secondary fulfillment, will signify the beginning of the last days. And I understand that that's what Jesus is speaking of in verses 15 through 20. And then we come to the second point of the sermon. The great tribulation signals the end. And I see this in verses 21 through 28. And we'll walk through these verses together. Now in verse 21, when Jesus says, For then... There will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. I take that to mean that Jesus has now, in, in this next verse, Jesus has skipped all of that intermediary period of activity that he's already described in verses 4 through 13. 
He's already described that. I, I think he's just skipped over that that he's already talked about. And he's gone now to the, the end of these, this age of the last days. I understand it this way. I, I, I work through this verse this way. In verse 21, for then, it means sometime after 70 A.D., after you see all of that happen, and, and when you see that happen, run, run, get out if you can, get out. After that happens, then, and he calls this great tribulation. So, when he calls this great tribulation, it's not the same, look with me in verse 9, it's not the same tribulation that he spoke of in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, speaking, speaking to his followers, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. As the gospel goes to all nations, so believers will be present in all nations, and so all nations will hate believers for the sake of Christ's name. And they will be persecuted, and Jesus calls that tribulation. And that's describing what, what God's people have experienced ever since the Christian faith, ever since Christ. There has always been persecution of God's people. We will experience that. We will always experience that in varying degrees and in varying, various places during this age of the last days. In fact, there, there are... Uh, believers experiencing harsh, brutal, unimaginable persecution even today throughout this world. It's horrifying. But believers will endure this tribulation. It's going to continue. It's going to be frequent. It's going to be uh, growing in frequency and intensity until it reaches this final tribulation, which is the great tribulation. So this is this is even greater than this verse 9 tribulation. It's the most intense period of persecution that will ever be. Jesus says as much, doesn't he, in verse 21 when he says, Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. In verse 22, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. In other words, God has determined a definite period of time for this final tribulation. God is sovereignly in control of all time and all events and all nations and all peoples. He has set boundaries around this great tribulation. Sin and darkness will reach a tipping point in this age. And if it were not for divine restraint, Jesus says no, no human would be saved. In, in other words, no one would survive this if it were allowed to just continue boiling over. But it's going to be cut short. That means God has a boundary set 
that sin in its progression and goal to wipe out everything of God's creation, especially those created in his image, is not going to reach its fulfillment. But it says, for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Because God's people will be present during it, and God watches over his own, sin will not reach its goal. God will cut it short. Many believers will suffer during this time, and many will become martyrs. Now, that's, that's nothing new. That has been happening since the disciples so it's nothing new for a Christian to, be, to suffer, to be imprisoned, to be martyred. But, and that's going to continue. It's been continuing for 2,000 years. And in this period of time, it's going to be great. But God will not allow his people, God will not allow his church to be utterly wiped off the face of the earth. But there are a number of people who will give the greatest testimony possible to the treasure of Christ by laying down their lives and being slain for the sake of his name, for the sake of the witness of the gospel. Let's look to Revelation chapter 6 for that that point of what I just said, a, a number of folks of believers to give the great witness to the gospel and the treasure of Christ by surrendering their very lives. This is how I understand Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So up until that time, there's been a number. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Who? What number? Who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed? Great tribulation. I've probably said something so far that uh, you thought, huh, I don't know if I agree with that pastor. I don't know if I've heard that before. So I want to take a step back and just talk a little bit about how I approach texts of Scripture that deal with the end times or the last days. When, when I approach texts of Scripture that address the end times, I try to stay away from interpretational categories that we impose on the text and just simply try to follow the text. Wherever, the, wherever this passage goes, that's where I'm going to go with it. I try to do that. No one's perfect at doing that, but I try to do that. 
Interpretational categories are kind of like cookie cutters, and, and, and the text is kind of like the cookie dough. The cookie dough is spread out there, it's, it's, it's rolled out there, and you take the, the, the cookie cutter and you kind of cut out from that text what you want to see, what you want it to say. And kind of the other stuff that doesn't fit, you kind of kind of roll up and scoot to the side a little bit. We're all guilty of doing that because we all come with a, a background and things that we've heard, things that's been said. We, we all come. We don't come to the Scripture with a blank slate. We, we come with our, our ideas. So we all have to work at, at being careful how much extra dough we're leaving on the tray. So I try to just let the text lead me. I, I try to read it. I try to imagine, what if I were those first readers of Matthew's gospel? What if I were the, some of the first ones who had ever seen Matthew 24? What would I be thinking? How would I be understanding it? You may know there, there are actually there are three views of the rapture. There are three views of the uh, millennial reign. There are two uh, interpretational, uh, foundational grids that these come out of: uh, dispensational theology, covenant theology, and and the more you get into those things, the more for me, the more confusing it gets. When I just just try to stay in the text. The first readers of the New Testament, think about it this way, the first readers of the New Testament were not trying to decide which category this fits in. They didn't read and say, well, is that pre, is that mid, is that post? They were just reading it and saying, this is, Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. So I'm trying to read it that way. Now I know that some of you, maybe most of you, uh, believe the rapture is going to take place before the great tribulation. That's called the pre-tribulational view. I tend, I tend to believe the rapture is going to take place after the tribulation. Now that's called the post-tribulational view, but I'm not worried about the category. I'm just trying to follow through with the text here in Matthew 24. So, let me explain it this way. I'll look at it this way. Matthew was written before 70 A.D. Revelation was written after 70 A.D. Matthew 24 and 25 are kind of like the, the forest of the end times. Revelation is kind of like the trees in the forest. So in Matthew, we, in Matthew 24 and 25, we kind of get a flyover view of what's to come. In Revelation, we get a detailed view of what's to come. Event, 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 described, described. Now, the rapture of the church is a massive event. It has, it has never happened before. It will never happen again. It's a massive event. So, 
if it were going to take place before the tribulation, now I'm a first-generation first reader of Matthew's gospel. If it's going to take place before the tribulation, you would think to see that even in a flyover view. I mean, you couldn't miss it. Now, Matthew 24, I, I, I think, does speak of the rapture, but it speaks of it in verse 31. Verse 31, we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. Verse 31, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I think that's speaking of the rapture there, but it's occurring simultaneously with the return of Christ. And according to my understanding of verse 22, believers are present during this time of great tribulation. Understand, tribulation for believers is nothing new, but this will be more frequent, and more intense. Now, are we still friends? <laughs> we can disagree on this. There, uh, there, there, are, many, there are several views of the end times, and um, I, don't think, I don't think anybody's got a complete picture of everything this is, this is one point, the, the timeline of when things are going to take place. That's something that we can look at and study and uh, talk about. There's, there's places like this that have room for disagreement. There are places of Scripture that there's absolutely no room for disagreement, like Jesus is the Son of God. We, we can't disagree on that one. But we, this, here's some things we can agree on. Wherever you stand with the tribulation and the rapture, Jesus returns. Satan is defeated. And we are saved as his people forever. Amen? But here's where I, here's where I come uh, to you as, as your pastor. You know, because of my calling, I, I will stand before the Lord to give an account of what I have said to you from God's Word. So I don't have the liberty to tell you what I, what I think you want the Bible to say. And that gets me in a lot of trouble when I don't say what I think you might want the Bible to say. I have to tell you what I believe the Bible teaches to the best of my ability. And my ability is not perfect. My ability has weaknesses. So it's possible that I could be wrong. I always hold that out. Except for the very absolute clear teachings of Scripture, there is no wiggle room there. But I can be wrong on this one. But listen... Listen to this very carefully. When it comes to the timing of the rapture of the church, I would rather prepare us for tribulation, great tribulation, and then come to be pleasantly surprised. 
than to not prepare us for great tribulation and possibly in our lifetime, some even in this congregation laying down our lives for the gospel, to not prepare us for that and then to find ourselves in the middle of it. Enduring tribulation will be test enough for our faith. We don't need interpretational error to add to the weight. And those errors of interpretation is exactly what Jesus addresses next. So let's look at verses 23 through 25. And so Jesus says, Then, talking about during the tribulation, see that? There's never has been anything like this. And if it hadn't been cut short, no human humanity would be obliterated but for the sake of the elect who happens to be part of humanity those days will be cut short so then during this time if anyone says to you look here's the Christ or there he is do not believe it if someone says to you Christ has come do not believe them because verse 24 because for False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So again, the second time Jesus is saying the believers are going to be there. So in verse 24, these, these false Christ and, and false prophets, Jesus has spoken of them in verse 5. And Jesus has spoken of them in verse 11. So they're just like everything else in this last day's age, right? They're, they're, going to, they're going to be here. They're going to continue. It's going to be frequent. It's going to be intense right up until this last lot of false Christ and, and false prophets who will arrive during this great tribulation. And, and what's going to be kind of unique and a little bit different about these false prophets is that these, this final group of false prophets will have the ability to deceive like none before them. Jesus says their, their power to lead people astray will be greater than ever before. In fact, they, they'll do wonders. They'll, they'll, they'll do great signs. And that's going to be extremely convincing to people who are searching for any kind of help and rescue other than falling down and repenting and running to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. To run to this Jesus and this false teaching that look, look at this power, look at this demonstration, listen to this argument. In fact, they will be so convincing that if it were possible to snatch true believers away from the faith, these are the ones who could do it. They're going to be that good, that convincing, that deceptive. Now, it's not possible to ultimately deceive true believers and snatch them away from 
the faith. But if it were possible, Jesus said, they'd even convince believers to follow them. That's how deceptive. You see, these days are going to be so dark and so difficult. Believers, believers will know that Jesus is, is soon coming. And so believers are going to be, we're, we're going to be looking for him like never before in these desperate dark times. So when someone shows up performing signs and claiming to be Christ and claiming to have salvation and claiming to have the answer and claiming to bring peace and claiming to stop the turmoil and claiming to rescue and claiming to save and and demonstrating with these outlandish performances, then those who are not truly in the faith will flock to them to just find some kind of answer to the turmoil of the world. And those, even those in the faith will be tempted and will be tried. But those who truly cling to Christ will not be deceived. You know why? Verse 25. Verse 25. Jesus says, See, I have told you beforehand. So Jesus is preparing his people so that we won't be deceived. Now in verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, don't, he's, don't be deceived by those false Christ and those false prophets about those who say, there he is, there he is. Verse 26, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, when when Jesus returns, when I return, it will not be secret. It will not be private. It will not be hidden. You won't have to go looking for your Savior. You won't have to wonder, is that really him? Is he really there? Are they really right? There will be no questions. There will, there will be no doubt. He will split the eastern sky and the world will know the king is here. Every knee will bow. So don't go out. Don't listen to those things. Don't be deceived. In verse 28, Jesus says, Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather that's an interesting statement isn't it Jesus he's using what I believe is probably a common saying for their day but it's a common occurrence for our day too isn't it I call them buzzards what do you call them you call them vultures or buzzards if you're if you're riding down the road and you see about eight or ten buzzards circling you don't you don't think what's going on What's happening over there in that field? There, there are birds flying in a circle. You, you, you never say that. You go and you see the, and you say, something's dead. And you keep driving. I say, I bet it's that buck I've been trying to get. 
When you see vultures gathering, you know there's a dead animal there. You, you don't wonder what's going on. You, you know. I think Jesus is using this common saying, referring back to what he's just said about his coming and about the false Christ and prophets being deceptive. This is how it's going to be with the coming of Christ. You won't wonder if, his, if he's returned. You won't wonder if it's happening. His coming will be crystal clear. You will know exactly. So I, I want to conclude our, our study of this passage together by, by just saying these two things. There, there are two thoughts, kind of the, to, to wrap this up, uh, take-home thoughts for us today. Number one, the teaching of the last days or the end times tells us this if it tells us nothing else, this world is not our home. It's where we live right now, but it's not our home. And as this age continues, as these last days continue, and these birth pains become more frequent, it's going to become more and more evident we don't actually belong here. This isn't our home. It's going to be more evident. But the second thing that we can say with absolute certainty when we look at the end times, when you start looking at the end times, you start talking about the Great Tribulation, you start talking about a lot of really dark, difficult, heavy, troubling things. But that's not all you talk about, is it? Jesus is our Savior. And he's coming for his people. And at the end of this age, that's going to be absolutely certain and evident. So what to do? Trust him today. Trust him today. Just as he came the first Christmas, he's coming again. I said it earlier in my prayer. I'll say it again. We opened our service, Shane played, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That is the cry of God's people today. In fact, John, who wrote Revelation, closed it by saying that, didn't he? Even so, Lord Jesus, come. We who celebrate his first advent, we're looking for that second one. Let's pray. Father, we look to your word. We, we admit, Father, we, we need the help of your spirit to, to understand it. And, but most of all, Lord, we, we, we might not be able to put all the little pieces together and it might be confusing at times and we might not understand everything that's said, but we get the main points. And the, and the main points are really foundational and they are what we cling to. You are in control of the world and of the history and of the future and of all peoples and all nations. You set the boundaries. You set the time. You set the time when your son would first come. You have set the time when he will return. Everything is under your sovereign care. So 
You are our God and we are your children. So we take great hope in you, great comfort in you, great strength in you because you are in control. Number two, your son is our savior. We take absolute eternal hope in that rich, gracious truth that Christ is the savior of all who call on him in faith. And just as he came, he's returning for his people. And we're going to rejoice with him and live in glory forevermore. So, Lord, we give you praise for the end days. And we ask, God, now that you would work in our hearts. If any of us, Lord, are without Christ, that today we would see him as Savior and as our hope. And we would run to him in faith and give him our life. We who are in the faith, Lord, may we cling to Christ more than ever before. As as the days grow darker, may the church shine brighter. Because there are still those who will come. There are still those who will hear, who will listen, who will respond to the glorious message of the gospel. So strengthen us, Lord, in you and use us for your glory as witnesses, as salt and light. And we ask all of this in the precious name of our glorious Savior. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.